Hi, my name is Cliff. I'm an alcoholic. And I, this room, uh, I got sober in January of 1970, and uh, I had been slipping out of, in and out of AA for five years. Well, I used to have slips on the program. Uh, you know, come in for 30 days, then drink for two years, that's a slip. Uh, but anyway, AA in Oceanside was good. There were a lot of people who stayed sober there a long time for, shut up. And, uh, but it was kind of a laid-back AA, you know, and, and I'm not a laid-back person. But I remember the, they brought me up here. I'd been sober one week. Tuesday night, the Pacific Group used to have benches. Remember, nine to a bench. God almighty, just claustrophobia. And uh, I was used to get between these two gals with big breasts. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, that's a good start. Okay. But uh, the energy in the room, I'll never forget it as long as I live. We got out of the car, and I just felt the energy. And uh, everybody was zinging everybody else and laughing and scratching. I thought, oh, this is AA, you know. And I came to this meeting every night for the first seven years, every Tuesday night for the first seven years I was sober. And I... Uh, the memories there. They hadn't built that goddamn building over there yet. The Fox, I, I like to work over there. Anyway, uh, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been slipping in and out for five years. But if you're new and you think you've got to be on a park bench with a brown paper bag with wine in it, uh, you don't have to be that. The week I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, this time, I weighed 162 pounds at 4% body fat. I used to surf for like three hours and then get out and run five miles. I could bench press 285. Yeah. Took me 25 minutes to pass a mirror. <laughs> and don't ask me for directions. I say right over there. I was one of the top three debate coaches in the United States. <laughs> That's an honor roughly equivalent to being one of the top two prostitutes in Elko, Nevada. Uh, but among speech coaches, I became a top speech coach by mistake. The principal talked me into going to a debate and speech tournament 30 miles away down at San Diego State. And uh, we got down there, and we were in Levi's and sweatshirts, and everybody else was in suits and ties. We got annihilated. I mean, we didn't win a round. They ground us in the dirt. And uh, I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but I don't care for losing. And uh, I went in the coach's room. There's about 20 of them in there. They're all pals. They've been doing this for years. And they snubbed me. You know how we like that. So I went around all day. They can snub me longer that way. One guy really ticked me off, had a lot of hair. That pissed me off right away. And uh, no, it wasn't just that. It was that gray hair, the beautiful steel gray. You know, it took nine barbers to get it right. And, uh, had about a $1,000 suit on. The other coaches did this when they went in front of him. And uh, About two in the afternoon, this guy turns to me and says, uh, where are you from? God, I was grateful to be spoken to finally. I said, Oceanside. And he said, oh, where's that? 30 miles up the road. 
Where's that? I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but he gave me a resentment. <laughs> I went back to Oceanside High and I built me a speech team. I built a juggernaut speech team is what I did. I built this powerhouse speech team and I did it with sheer hatred. Yeah? Do you know how much work that is to make 150 people do what they don't want to do? Seven in the morning till 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm in their faces, screaming and yelling, coaching! <laughs> Reporter asked my captain one time, what's the secret of your coach's success? The kid said, terror. <laughs> now, she wasn't lying. Now, later when I got sober, uh, sober a long time, my, well, one of the captains of my team is here tonight, and I was a real sweetheart then, huh? <laughs> Better say, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it took me four or five years, but I built this speech team. And, uh, in the meantime, I destroyed my family. You know, I'd be there till 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and out in the glove compartment waiting for me in the car, huh? Half a pint of hot vodka, calling to me all day, go get him, Cliff, baby, I'm waiting, darling. Oh, the last one got here, finally. <laughs> Are there any more? Yeah. <laughs> Our meeting. Mm -hmm. Because so, I'm a functioning alcoholic. I'm one of those guys that works all day and does it better than anybody else. And I only have to know that the half pint of hot vodka is waiting in the glove compartment when I get through here. And I'd finish with that last kid in the evening. I'd go out in the car, 58 Chevy. My surfing car. One time I was drunk, I painted it with house paint. And uh, <laughs> just everything was mashed. You know, just smashed. One headlight was like this, you know. I remember I used to come up to four-way stops and everybody would go, uh-huh. <laughs> I'd, I'd get in that car and I'd open up that hot vodka and light one of those cheap cigars I smoked in those days. And you probably did this too. I always drank half the half pint. Remember that? And I take a big puff of the cigar. Damn, you're a good coach. And I would finish that half a pint. Only car in a parking lot. Big empty parking lot, 158 Chevy, sitting in the middle of it. And I'm sitting in the front seat, finishing that half a pint. That was my social drinking. And uh, after about a half an hour of drinking, I, I don't know what your story is. You come down to Carlsbad. I'll be in the front row. I'll listen to every word you say. But my story is this. After I drink about a half an hour, something happens to me. And I have about eight minutes where everything in my life is all right. I am enough for about eight minutes. And I want to tell you, I came about this close to dying for that eight minutes. It was that close. Because that's the only peace of mind I'd ever known in my life. You stopped me on the street and said, what's serenity? I would have said it's about eight minutes, half an hour to my drink. Is that the peace of mind, the only peace of mind I'd ever known in my life? I lived my whole life with anger 
and hatred and violence and revenge. And more than anything else, I lived my whole life with fear. And our big book says our lives are shot through with fear. And I was afraid of every moment in every life of my whole life. Now, if you'd have told me I was afraid, I'd have tried to kill you. <laughs> but I knew. So I would have my eight minutes, and then I'd drive home and destroy my family. We had these five kids. We were married 20 years. Uh, oldest son is working his way through high school as a hashy salesman. Uh, <laughs> I never had to give him any spending money, I'll guarantee you. I hit him up for a fifth about once a week. Yeah, Dad, what do you need? <laughs> you know. He had hair down to his butt. You know, his head went like this all the time. <laughs> Called his mother, man. Hey, man, what's for dinner? <laughs> oh, he, you should have seen him. He, was, he loved LSD. You know those guys. I'd be right in the middle of a sentence. He said, what was that? <laughs> of course, the shape I'm in, I said, I don't know. What was that? Where? What? <laughs> My eldest daughter's in a sick relationship with this lunatic and the my 14-year-old daughter's well into her story, and the two little kids just wet the bed and walked in the walls. They didn't know what the hell's going on. And everybody in that house hated everybody else in that house, and we were all crazy. No human power could have relieved my family. It was too late. It was too late. We were all gone. You know, the experts on alcoholism say that every alcoholic destroys seven lives. And we had five kids. And it was too late. But I built that speech team. It took me four or five years. But the first year, there were, we took first place in one of the tournaments. The second year, we took first place in every tournament. The third year, there was a tournament. There were 25 schools participating. <laughs> And my team scored more sweet six points than the other 24 schools combined. Then I went up to that gray-haired guy. Remember him? I put my nose right against his, and I said, Do you know where Oceanside is now? And he just looked blank. He said, What are you talking about? I said, Don't you remember four or five years ago? Four or five years ago, you said to me, Oceanside, where's that? And he said, we just moved here from Nebraska. I didn't know where it was. It's a story of my goddamn life right there. This guy's in his bed for four or five years every night. I'm up in Oceanside. I'll get you. <laughs> but there was a guy. I, when I'd come in and out of AA, there was this little guy named Bill Blake. He was just one of those fanatic AAs, you know. Every time he'd come in the room, he'd just teeth coming at you, you know. And he was always saying really idiotic things to me. He would say, like, do you want to go to Los Angeles with us tomorrow night? <laughs> no. Uh, Oh, there's one more yet. Okay. When does it stop? When does it stop? God, huh? 
Anyway, this guy, what I wanted to say to this guy who wanted to come to Los Angeles, what I wanted to say was, you know, I can't stand you jerks here. You know, why would I drive 100 miles to see Samoria, you know? But I would just say, no, thank you. And every time I'd come to AA, every time you'd hit on me, and every time I'd turn, I didn't like him. But uh, my wife and I had one of these main events the neighbors have come to miss so much. And uh, I threatened to move out, and they all said, yeah, Dad. So I'm living down at the beach with my surfboard where I wanted to live anyway. And I'd said for years, if I could just unload that witch, clean that up for you, and those long-haired, dopey children, I'd be okay. And I wasn't. I was drunk. I was missing work, which has always been my red badge of courage. But I went by the house, was haranguing my wife about money, probably, and the hashy salesman kind of bobbing there in the background. And I turned to him and I said, uh, Dave, uh, what's it like not to have your old man around the house? And my 16-year-old son looked me right in the eye, and he said, it's beautiful. And I didn't know it for a couple of hours, but that's my bottom. That's as far as I'm going. Kind of a weenie bottom, but what are you going to do, you know? I got back to that dump on the beach and yelled and snivelled for a while, and I came to the conclusion that I'd given up my own self-respect a long time before that. And about the time the sun was going down into the water, I saw what I was. And uh, I went in the bedroom and got out the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I had read in one of my travels through the program. Being an English teacher, I thought it was very poorly written. Read really well this time, you know. And I read the big book for three days and three nights. I called in sick. I didn't go to work. I read the big book. I read it cover to cover. I read every story. I read the appendix in the back. Uh, and in the second, edi- second edition, there was a story called The Professor and the Paradox. And he was another egotistical school teacher. And he saved my life. And on the third time through the book, on the 13th of January, 1970, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on page 63 again. And if you're new, on page 63, there's a little prayer. And the prayer is step three. I always called it the formal terms of surrender. And in my befuddled condition, it seemed like it would be a good idea if I would kneel down on that filthy linoleum floor on that dump in the beach where I was living, and if I would read that third step prayer out loud to myself. And that's what I did. I knelt down and I read, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Now, I've heard a couple of hundred fifth steps in my years in the program. The number one defect of character of every man I have ever worked with is self-obsession. Self-obsession. And I had a spiritual experience on my knees that morning. Nothing like Bill Wilson had, no wind up my yin-yang or anything like that. I, I just knew I was going to be, or I knew I was not in charge of my life anymore. I knew it was going to be all right. That evening, I'm knocking on... Bill Blake's door, this guy I didn't like, you know. Five-year loser, arrogant, 
obnoxious, overeducated, pompous ass loser. I'm on the porch. Marky opens the door. Here I am. If you're new, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear this. I have never seen anyone so glad to see me in my life. She just lit up. Oh, Cliff. Oh, Cliff. In the house I go. Pours me a cup of coffee. This is wonderful, she said. Bill's been crazy lately. He's had nobody to work with. Oh, that's just so good. Then Bill comes in. Ah, Cliff. About a half an hour. I'm thinking, anything else I can do to help you folks out? I'd be glad to help any way I can. Three weeks later, I was at a newcomer meeting. One of the other newcomers said, what do you mean this is a selfish program? And I knew the answer. I got the answer the night I got here. They'd been praying for me for five years. But they were more glad for Bill and Margie. Because they knew the great secret. You can't have it unless you give it away. You cannot stay here unless you're willing to give it away. And how you give it away is your business. My little sponsor had this theory that everybody who comes to AA has alcoholism. Everybody who comes to AA has their own particular brand of insanity. And we can take care of that. But he believed that everybody who comes to AA has some gift that you have that'll make AA better. And he believed that if you didn't bring your gift, you have to go back out there and die. And he certainly convinced me of that. Uh, by the way, that night was the last nice thing he ever said to me for the, till the day he died. No, I'm not kidding. I thirst the first step was, shut up and get in the car. You know, now after all these years, I, I believe it. Huh? The first step is, Shut up and get in the car. Except he had a little adjective before car. You know. He'd love to say, shut up. I told him, I have degrees, you know. He says, so does a thermometer. You know where they stick that sometimes, don't you? And he took me to a meeting every night for two years. He took me to a meeting every night for two years. You want to talk about love? First, it was just he and I. For the first year, it was just Bill and I every Tuesday night here. We went everywhere in Southern California. He took me to meetings where people were laughing. See, he knew me. I couldn't stay here. I just can't stay here if we're not laughing. I believe laughter is the spiritual part of Alcoholics Anonymous. I really believe that. In my, down to my marrow of my bones, I believe that. And, of course, here in this room, Every Tuesday night, we would laugh, huh? Oh, I love to laugh. I love to get me some scuzzbag newcomer, you know, and take him to a meeting and take him to another meeting, maybe the 12th or 14th meeting. He's sitting there beside me, and he goes, Gotcha! I gotcha now. Alanons are even more fun, aren't they? My wife's meaner than me. Oh, there's two more still. Uh... My wife and I get these brand new little Al-Anons. We take them to AA speaker meetings like this, you know, and we get her in between us where she can't escape. And some clown like me is up here, and I fell in the Christmas tree and smashed all the presents. <laughs> you know, and we're all going, ah! <laughs> and this new little Al-Anon sitting there. 
Not funny to her. Any of you married guys, do you remember that? The pre-Alanon grimace. Don't you think you had a few too many? No, you had a few too few. That's your problem, lady. Mine was a counter. They're the worst kind of pre-Alanon, aren't they? The counters. That's your fifth one today. Shut up and eat your breakfast. Leave me the hell alone. You remember, don't you? And we went to a meeting every night for two years. And then within two years, we had like nine guys. All of us still sober today. Every single one of us. One died sober. Every one of us, 40 more years sober. And uh, all because of the cruelty of that vicious little man. <laughs> when, when he was dying, I went to the hospital. And he's, you know, they had him all things coming out of everyone, nervous. He's lying there, he's dying. And I said, Bill, I've got, to be, I've got to be gone for four days. I'm going to go up to Alaska to talk. And he says, yeah, they called me. I told me to send you as far away as possible. <laughs> God love him right to the end. He'd been dead like 22 years, and I miss him every day. I miss him every day. And uh, whatever was wrong in my life, and I had a lot wrong in my life then, didn't you, when you were new? Owed like a billion dollars and didn't have anything. And uh, every time the phone rang, ah, you know, because there was some guy saying, we're going to let the dogs go if you don't pay. And, and she wouldn't go to Al-Anon, had this foul mouth, miserable, all these dope fiend children all around me. I'd go to my sponsor's house and pound on the door and he'd let me in and i just let it all out, remember? You know what they're doing over there now? And I'd do like 20 minutes of sobbing and telling you, and he always listened. You know how sponsors will always listen? I, I found it's good to make a little noise once in a while. Huh, then they think you're paying. Uh, but I would finally run down. You know, I just find. <laughs> and he would say, Go get Al and take him to the meeting. <laughs> what the hell has that got to do with the nervous breakdown? <laughs> I was like asking the guy, What time is it? The horse is dead. <laughs> so I'd go get Al. He had no driver's license, of course. And Al was a big blowhard. And I'd drive Al to the meeting, blah, 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 blah. And we'd set the meeting up, chairs up, and everybody come, everybody go home. We'd set the meeting down. We had real cups in those days. He had to wash because he was so shaky. You know, he put his hands in the water. And, but I could dry, ho, 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 you know. Then I'd load the blowhard in the car and drive him home, blah, 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 blah. I'd let Al the blowhard off, and I'd start driving home. And this feeling would come over me. Start like right here. Then it would just spread out. It felt so good it terrified me. You know, I, I thought it's because I got rid of Al. <laughs> <laughs> But he made me stand at the door and, and greet people. I hated that the most, because I'm a snob. I don't know about you, you know? Hi there, how are you? 
<laughs> like I really give a. Uh, and when you spilled your coffee, I mopped that up. You know, and I wash your cups. And, this, and uh, I just, whatever was wrong in my life, he told me to do something for you. And I did not get it. I did not get it. But I did it because I was afraid of him. I was afraid he'd vanish me from AA. One of the things he did was the most important in my life is he took me on all his 12-step calls. And those of you old-timers, you remember, we used to get what, three, four 12-step calls a week. And by the way, if you're new, you have to do everything we tell you here. <laughs> you have to do what you're told here. But hey, here's the good news. You never have to do it cheerfully. <laughs> Not necessary. Have you ever done anything cheerfully in AA? I haven't. You know, when the phone rings at one in the morning, I don't go, a 12-step call. Oh, boy. Huh? I say, God, nobody left an ocean side but me, for Christ's sake. Hello? <laughs> sure. Cool. So you, you have to do whatever we say, but you don't have to do it cheerfully. Just remember that. And uh, whatever's wrong in my life, he told me to do something for you, and he'd take me on these 12-step calls. And I picked up a habit of something that I still do today. I don't get many calls today, but when I get one, the first thing I do is I get down and look in the guy's eyes. You know what I see? I see my eyes 42 years ago. I don't ever want to see that look in my eyes again. And hundreds of times, hundreds of times, I've taken a guy to a meeting, sit across the table from him at a coffee shop, and the power is in his eyes. One meeting, and I look across the table. I gave a guy a 40-year cake a couple of days ago, and I got to see the light come on in his eyes. This sick guy that drove me up here today, Johnny T., the only fifth step I ever heard that got me sexually excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Give it up, ladies. He's married now. Uh, they want to talk to you after the beating. Yeah. First time I saw him, I spoke in 22 years ago. I talked in his meeting, and he came up after. He was in some treatment center, had the bracelet on and everything. And he told me I'd won the sweepstakes that I had been allowed to be his sponsor. You know, his eyes were, and I said, sure, give me a call. And then three years later, <laughs> he got out of jail and called me, you know. And he's coming up on 20 years, and, uh, you know, we, we got to stay here a long time. We get to, we, people come in and watch the changes. You know, when some people stay here the rest of their lives, they, they change. They change enough to stay here, but sometimes people change. There's those few, huh? They change so much. You cannot believe it's the same person. He's one of those. Just, uh, he's in the same body, but he's not that person. And uh, he's a lousy driver, but what anyway. Uh, <laughs> whatever's wrong in life, he may be to do something for you. Now, all my life, I've known since I was four years old down here in Venice on the speedway, I've always known what my problem is. And I was right. I have never been loved enough. You know, I was raised in this alcoholic zoo, and uh, 
Lots of people tried to love me all my life, but what I didn't know about me and that my sponsor did know and did not tell me he knew. He knew my problem had always been I never loved enough. I never loved at all. I didn't know how to learn to begin how to love. You know? And I was right. There isn't enough love for somebody like me. I'm the black hole of love. <laughs> Goes in there, you never see it again. You know? You got everybody in China, Russia, everybody said, let's love Cliff. I said, is that it? Is that all? Huh? But what he did is he made me take loving after action after loving action after loving action. And uh, what I found out about love is you cannot give it away. When you try to give it away, you get more. And so for 42 years now, I've been trying to give it away. And if you're new, I live a life that people like me don't live. I live almost every day of my life in the eight minutes. And I keep trying to give it away. And uh, the most wonderful things in all the world have happened to me over and over and over again. Uh, I got to teach people like this. And I got to actually see her and know her and love her. And allow her to love me. Well, uh, remarkable. I'll tell you about my kids. They say I have to quit at quarter till. You drive two and a half hours to talk 30 minutes. <laughs> Wonderful cure for a disease. Yeah. And some people only hear 10 minutes. Uh, but I'm much too spiritual to worry about it. I want to tell you about my kids. Uh, after I was sober two years, my sponsor made, made me a GSR, you know, and that's the formal part of service here. And by the way, Mother Teresa was in our area before she died, and this reporter asked her a question, and the answer was, and I cut it out of the paper and carried it until it rotted away. Mother Teresa said to this guy, the fruit of faith is love, and the fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. I will comprehend the word serenity, and I will know peace. And the fruit of service is peace. And I got into this formal service. I was at GSR, at the DCM. I did the whole alphabet, for God's sake. I ended up being the delegate for our area, and which is a great two of the greatest years experience I ever had. But my buddies used to tease me. They used to say, oh, here comes the politician. <laughs> here comes Cliff the politician. How's the politics going, Cliff? And I would just laugh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I used to say to my buddies back then, 35 years ago, I would say, I do this because I want AA to be here for my kids if they need it. And I want it to be AA. I don't want it to be some watered-down, psychologized bullshit. I want it to be the program the little man brought to me. 
and the program newcomers is steps 1 through 12. That is the program. All the rest of it is fellowship, and I love fellowship. But if you do 1 through 12 the best you can, your life will never, ever be the same again. Mine certainly has. The program is 1 through 12. And so I did all that service, and uh, all these years later, my youngest son, Chris, has 24 years of sobriety. He's a terrific man. He doesn't go to many meetings. Uh, you know, that's not the way I do AA, but that's the way he does it. But he's a loving husband and father and a terrific guy, and uh, he's doing swell. Uh, our middle daughter, Jan, had 12 years and uh, got a bad back and started taking pills and you know, I'm like Scott. I, I have no opinion about pills. They'll cut you off in the sunlight of the spirit and kill your ass dead, but I have no opinion on them whatsoever. <laughs> no opinion. And she drank again and drank for a couple years. Now she has 12 years again. Uh, she, three years ago, got breast cancer and uh, had to have the whole thing, surgeries and all the chemo. And I got to go to every single chemo. With and all the scans are clear now, but her health has been seriously damaged by all the chemotherapy. But she's getting better, and she has 12 years again. The hashy salesman has 10 years. <laughs> he lives up in the state of Washington. He's one of the ex foremost experts in the world on the growing of coffee. <laughs> Beats the hell of what he used to grow. <laughs> he goes all over the world. Uh, he goes to meetings in South America, every in, in Mexico, Africa. One of his favorite meetings is in Zambia, Africa. He goes there like five times a year. There's only six of them, so they love to see him. You know, <laughs> swells to me. But I, I envy him getting to go to meetings all over the world like that. But he goes to third world countries and helps them learn how to grow better coffee so they don't have to be third world countries anymore. And he goes to meetings all over the world. Uh, our eldest daughter kind of went wrong. She's been in Al-Anon about 27 years. <laughs> she speaks all over the country for Al-Anon. My wife and my daughter are two of the greatest examples I have ever known in my life of the program, 1 through 12. Those two women have changed their lives immensely. Two of the greatest examples of the program I know are my wife and my daughter. My Al-Anon and I have been married 62 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. If that isn't a tribute to Al-Anon. <laughs> and when our family gets together, we have more fun than sane people. We laugh until we almost get sick. All my kids are middle-aged people. And all of them in a, in a field, all of them have master's degrees, all of them in a field where they're helping the human race one way or another. And we all love each other for fun and for free. Nobody has to be anything for anybody. And when we get together, I remember when we were sober about 10 years, my wife walked across the room, we were all together laughing, scratching. And she said, how did we get here from there? AA and Alana. The gift of a lifetime. And I thank you for that. <laughs> 